Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight, we enter Room 106, the world of pain into which all new planning information is deposited, and extract the key things you need to know. This week, we'll be reporting new reports of low morale in local authority planning departments. We'll also explore why one of Scotland's oldest undergraduate planning courses has stopped recruiting new students. And we'll find out just how many local authorities have delayed or withdrawn their local plans in recent months, and why. We'll also round up some of the other big news stories of the past fortnight. By the end of the show, you should be more than ready for the next RTPI branch pub quiz. So, time to face the music. Ready to go in? OK. Well, here we are again in room 106. Thankfully, there's not too much stuff that's been added since the MPPF consultation was dropped in just before Christmas. Yes, and we have some help at hand. Here's our senior reporter, Samantha Eckford. Hello, Sam. Hi, Richard. Sam, you're going to be talking to us later about what's been happening in local plans over recent weeks and uh, and, and what's behind some of these uh, delays to local plans that we've been reporting on. But first of all, John, I'm, I'm going to turn to you and ask you to give us a bit of an update on what's been going on in the in the news in the past couple of weeks. Well, the first story I'm going to talk about, and it's actually the most read story of the past fortnight for our logged in users, is that one of the oldest undergraduate planning courses in the UK, the BSc in Town Planning at Heriot Watts University in Edinburgh, has ceased to recruit new students. Instead, it is creating a new course, an MA ONS in Geography, Society and Environment, which it describes as a refreshed urban planning degree, even though it's not accredited by the RTPI. It took the last intake for the accredited planning course in September last year. Okay, so why might this have happened? Well, a spokesperson for Heriot Watt University said that we regularly adapt to the needs of industry, and that is reflected in our course planning and provision. It said that new course would keep core elements of the older one, but modernising the programme allows us to make it more relevant to the demands of the fast-changing global jobs market and ensures important real-world issues such as sustainability is embedded. It said the new programme will also be open to international applications. But according to planning columnist Cliff Haig, who's the university's Professor Emeritus of Planning and Spatial Development, the town planning degree at the university has been under pressure for some time over concerns about recruitment. Okay, and what's been the reaction to this in Scotland? Well, Cliff Haig, who's also a past president of the RTPI, said he was disappointed having spent the vast majority of his teaching career there. And he pointed out that only last week, the Scottish Parliament debated its new national planning framework for, and MSPs said that the country needs more new planners. And he's suggesting that the dropping this accredited undergraduate planning degree flies in the face of that. Meanwhile, RTPI Scotland calculates that over the next 10 to 15 years, the planning sector in Scotland will need 680 to 730 new entrants. So, you know, there's a demand there for new planners. It does seem extraordinary at a time when I'm sure the skills shortage in Scotland is as a bigger issue as it is um, in in, in planning in, in England. It does seem extraordinary that there shouldn't be enough demand to sustain a course at a um, prestigious university. It does seem a bit alarming. Where else in Scotland can people go for a um, RTPI accredited undergraduate degree? 
Well, the only remaining fully or partly accredited undergraduate planning course in Scotland will now be at the University of Dundee, according to the RTPI website. However, Heriot Watt still offers its RTPI accredited postgraduate planning course. So a lot of other universities offer the postgraduate planning course, which takes one year rather than four years for most of the undergraduate courses. According to the RTPI website, there are also fully accredited undergraduate planning courses at Queen's University and Ulster University in Northern Ireland, plus a host of them at English universities. Okay, well, thanks for that one, John. And uh, what else has been sort of heading the um, news bulletins in the last couple of weeks? My second story, which has been another big hit with the readers, is about an online blog's renewed call for evidence of council planning team's low morale. This has seen planning officers anonymously express significant concerns over staff resourcing, leadership, homeworking, and the ongoing brain drain to the private sector. So these responses from staff are in relation to a project on the Fifty Shades of Planning blog by Sam Stafford, who's the planning director at the Home Builders Federation. And it's called Life on the Frontline 2. And it includes complaints of terrible, terrible decision-making by inept senior managers, which had broken the spirit of planning teams and of local authorities that were actively discouraging staff to return to offices. This follows up a similar reports last year that began well, partly with a column written for planning by Katrina Riddell, talking about issues of low morale and, and what was behind it, and then subsequently followed up by Sam Stafford's blog, where he um, called sort of first-hand testimony of what, of what the issues were, uh, and then subsequently covered in detail by, by a feature by Joey Gardner, sort of looking at what, what mm. some of the problems were. But what, what's the background to, to all of this? Yes, as you say, the original call for evidence by Sam Stafford caused a huge stir in the sector that we followed up in news and in features. And it was originally sparked by the column in planning by um, Katrina Riddell. And this follows years of planning departments cutting their resources, cuts in um, funding by councils following central government cuts. And what kinds of criticisms have been voiced in the submissions that have been made to this sort of call for evidence so far? Well, so far, the new call for evidence has resulted in seven detailed submissions, but there's there's expected to be more in the pipeline. One big issue seems to be continued full-time working from home at many councils. And this, of course, was a result of the COVID-19 lockdown, which saw full-time home working across most sectors that could do it. One of the submissions to the call for evidence said morale and their planning team had improved markedly over the last year due to having returned to office working but that in other authorities, senior managers had seemed to promote continued staff homeworking out of personal convenience. And they said that homeworking contributed to a silo culture in councils and left staff often working cold homes. Another submission said they had left their job at a new unitary authority during the year to work in the private sector, and that a lack of staff in the office and a culture of actively discouraging staff to return to offices certainly didn't help. However, there were some submissions that defended the continued use of working from home, with one saying that they liked the ability to crack on with work without the pain of a commute and being able to do some work when they're ill. Okay, so working from home is clearly being cited by some people as a big issue. Mm. Of course, as in all organisations, I'm sure there are some people who don't like it and some people who love it. And Mm. um, I guess with a a very small sample size at the moment, we um, don't know how weighty the support is that this provides to those people who argue that working from home is a big problem for planning authorities um, yeah. 
effectiveness. Of course, we know from our consultancy survey that working from home is something that happens in, you know, in all parts of the planning sector and is when we last reported on it a year ago, and we've got we've got some more data that we'll be looking at shortly. But um, when we last reported on it a year ago, you know, the most common thing for planning consultants was to work from home two days a week. So it's certainly not something that's sort of unique to the public sector. But there are some suggestions that um, some authorities are, you know, that working from home is, is much more extensive than two days a week, I believe. Yeah, I think in this case, I think it's authorities are, uh, working from home is full time. Right. Okay. So five days a week which is obviously very different to two days a week at home and then three in the office. So, so I think that's that's the issue. Okay. And um, what other criticisms or, or issues have been aired as part of this um, report from the front line? Some of the other concerns that have been raised were around the quality of management and the departure of talented staff to the private sector. The view was voiced in several submissions that some of the previous barriers that stopped people moving to the private sector, which made the public sector more attractive, Things like work-life balance and employment flexibilities and high workload were less significant now. And one submission saying that the downsides of working of the private sector, which used to draw people into the public sector, have all but disappeared. At the same time, public sector jobs have become much, much harder. And all you have left now in the public sector are those for whom public service is a calling, or sadly, those who are unable to get a job anywhere else. And one submission said that a dearth of talent in the public sector and a lack of funds to recruit externally, combined with the promotion of what they described as incompetent employees to managerial levels, and this was to remove them from frontline roles, had resulted in toxic leadership. This issue where you get um, employees who are removed from frontline roles and put into management because they're not good at their jobs, that's known as the Dilbert Principle. And this submission says that as a result of the Dilbert principle, I've seen some terrible, terrible decision-making depress the morale and break the spirit of the planning team. Another planning officer who left a local authority in the last year said they did so because of the general stress and heavy workloads that local authority planners have to deal with, and partly because of inaction on recruitment and absence of leadership. Okay, well, that's uh, interesting. It's clearly resonated very strongly with readers in terms of the extent of the sort of readership over the past couple of weeks. I suppose we should say that, you know, at this stage, it is quite a small submission and there are some quite powerful things being said, but we don't really know how widely representative they are, although this isn't the only source of reports of issues of uh, morale in, in, in public sector planning. Clearly, it's extremely important that there are people who still have that sort of ethos of sort of public service, you know, mm-hmm. working in there. But I guess the planning service is not going to be able to continue to operate if it's entirely reliant on people being unselfishly motivated by some sort of public service ethos. Yes, exactly. I mean, we've been reporting issues of problems with public sector resourcing in local authorities, you know, resources being cut and staff shortages for the, you know, a decade or so now. So it's really seems to be taking its toll now in the last couple of years. It really seems like um, in many councils that planning seems are at their knees. Okay, well... As I say, um, we're going to be looking into this. Um, If people want to add their responses to uh, Sam Stafford's blog, that will provide further evidence for both him and for us because he publishes um, the the responses. And uh, also it's being looked at by our special correspondent, Joey Gardner. So if people want to contact Joey directly, he's on joey.gardner, that's G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R, at haymarket.com. And his details will be in the article on which you found the link to this podcast.
John, I'm going to come back to you a bit later to ask about, you know, round up some of the other stories that have been going on in the in the last couple of weeks. And now I want to turn to Sam. I think the you know the last few weeks and the early weeks of the new year have been notable for a stream of stories about local plans being delayed or withdrawn. You've been looking at exactly how many have been affected like that. I mean, just for starters, when did you last look at this and, and, and how many authorities were affected then? Yes. Yeah, so in September, we identified 19 authorities that had withdrawn or delayed plans in the year to September 22. So three of these had withdrawn their plans while 16 more had delayed work. Many of these cited the uncertainty surrounding national policy after the government's publication of the Leveling Up and Regeneration Bill in May as the reason for their delays. Okay. How many authorities have been affected since then? So at the time of recording, our research shows that a further 16 plans have been affected in the four months since September, plus three of the original 19 authorities have confirmed fresh delays. So this means that as many delays have been announced in the last four months as in the year to September 2022. Wow. Okay. And what's the reasons? So of the 19 that paused or delayed work on their local plans since September, seven directly cited the government's consultation on its proposed revisions to the National Planning Policy Framework as the reason for delaying or pausing work on their plans. Changes to the ways in which authorities would be required to apply the standard method housing need figures when preparing their plans in particular were cited by a number of authorities Some authorities have also begun to make changes to their emerging plans as a result of the government's proposals. So at least two authorities have reduced the amount of Greenbelt release or removed it entirely from their emerging plans in anticipation of proposed changes to the MPPF. This isn't your inference that it's because of changes in government policy or promised changes in government policy that these plans have slowed down, that the authorities themselves are literally saying, yes, it's because the government's policy is changing that we've decided that we need to... um, reconsider what perhaps you were going to do previously. Yeah, exactly that. So as I say, seven of them cited either the MPPF consultation or GOVE's early December ministerial statement as the reason for pausing or delaying work. Are there any other factors at play, though? Is it, are there some things which aren't to do with government policy changes? Yeah. So authorities announcing delays cited a range of issues outside of emerging national policy. Nutrient neutrality, staff shortages, concerns about Greenbelt release and a desire to avoid holding a consultation in the lead up to local elections in May are also among the reasons authorities gave for various delays. It's very open to admit that it's worrying about the impact of plan making on um, what's going to happen in a local election. I guess that's very upfront. I'm I'm sure it's true. I'm sure it's true they're concerned by it, but I'm slightly surprised that they're um, admitting it. But there you are. Okay, well... Thanks very much, Sam. I I know you've detailed exactly which authorities are affected in your local plan watch article this week, so people can read that on planningresource.co.uk. Thank you very much for for coming into Room 106 to update us and all that. We'll leave you on the lookout for more local plan news while John brings our listeners up to date on some of the other key news stories that broke over the last couple of weeks. See you soon. Thanks, Sam. Some other big news stories from the past fortnight, as I'll quickly mention. Consultancy JLL, which is one of the UK's biggest planning teams, has announced that it is to make a string of redundancies across its UK offices. Other news in the consultancy markets, property consultancy Rapleys, which has a large planning team, has acquired an affordable housing viability specialist firm in its third corporate expansion in six months. Meanwhile, the planning inspectorate is set to be hit by a series of strikes after staff in one union voted overwhelmingly in favour of industrial action over pay next month, 
while those in a second union look set to follow suit. Finally, a council has revealed that it has had to pay out £440,000 to developers in the financial year so far due to unreasonable behaviour in refusing two large housing schemes that were then overturned at appeal. And it spent a further 235000 in legal and consultancy fees in fighting appeals. Very interesting to see a number put on costs faced by a council that has um, come out on the wrong side of an, of an inspector. Yes, we've done a lot of stories about councils losing cost awards as appeals where their inspector has considered that their behaviour has been unreasonable and they've had to pay the developers costs, but it's really interesting to get a, um, a number. Okay, John, thanks very much. That all sounds like pretty important news. Anything that maybe that doesn't meet the important test but still seems pretty interesting for our readers? My quirky story is a rare planning story in the Celebrity News Bible Hello magazine that we featured in our newspaper roundup and which got lots of interest from readers. Possibly the first time that a hello story has featured in our newspaper roundup. Possibly, yeah. And inevitably it concerns Prince Harry, who's been all over the news these past few weeks promoting his new book, Spare. So Hello Magazine says that Omid Scobie, who wrote an unofficial book about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, has apparently cited Buckingham Palace's response to a planning row affecting the couple as evidence of its failure, and this is the failure alleged by Prince Harry, to defend the couple from false rumours. Scobie said that King Charles gifted them a gazebo for their garden, but without doing the correct planning checks, and this meant the couple got in trouble over it, according to the magazine. Scobie went on to say that the palace kept quiet about the origin of the gazebo, the fact it came from King Charles, so as not to make the then Prince Charles look bad. It's not clear what the planning issues were, but presumably it was put up without permission, I'm guessing. No, but I guess we should have known that planning was behind at the root of all the problems of the royal family at the moment. Yes, well, according to Hello magazine, it seems to have played some part in it. Right. Okay. Thanks, John. And of course, listeners can read more on all those stories at planningresource.co.uk. I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Fantastic. That's another fortnight summarised. Yes, we'll be back with a bonus edition next week when we take a deep dive into some of the changes to the system in the proposed MPPF revisions. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Our thanks to producer Hannah Holt from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink. And thanks for listening. See you next time.